0: My name's Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. This time, a night at the opera in Odessa and a blockade in Kaliningrad as we discuss the latest developments of the war in Ukraine with Zarina Zabrisky. Before we do, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscribers to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper. We can report without fear or favour because we don't have to dance to the tune of any wealthy proprietor. Instead, we rely on ordinary readers who take out subscriptions. So please subscribe if you can. You get more details on how to subscribe at our news-breaking website, bylinetimes.com. That's bylinetimes.com. And if you've already taken out a subscription, thank you. Now to Odessa, Ukraine, and Serena Zabrisky, who has remarkably been watching the opera. Serena, hello, tell us more.
1: Ah, yes, hi Adrian, it's really good to talk to you. I am indeed in Odessa again, and um, I've been on and off coming out uh, to the mainland to speak at different conferences, but uh, for now I'm not planning to go and speak anywhere else. I'm just based here and I'm speaking from here. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to bring the stories to the mainland. I, I feel like um, in a way, uh, we we being the West are starting to lose our focus, which is understandable. It's summer, and we, as collective West, all have our own issues in every country. You name it. Um, but uh, as I'm here and I'm the eyewitness, I can tell you that it's still remember. It's still important to remember that that the war is happening. And um, while well, I am about to tell you a wonderful story of uh, humanity and arts triumphing over the evil, uh, I, I do want to mention that it's, um, it's really the war situation. Today, uh, we had about three or four uh air raids and several explosions uh and i just came back from another uh object in another place of interest that was damaged by the shock wave from the explosion and i'm going to mention that too and uh uh, there the, the was uh, uh, some explosion that damaged uh, an infrastructure object or something. Today, we're not yet at liberty to speak about it because it takes a day or two until the official news arise. And I have some idea, but um, it's a no-no for all the journalists or want to be journalists. If you see something and you want to rush through and uh, report it, that is not advisable because it's helping the aggressor. So back to the opera. Um, If you have never been to Odessa, which is a big mistake, and you should immediately head here as soon as the war is over and Ukraine wins, uh, it's a beautiful, amazing European, a cosmopolitan city by the sea uh, with a very rich history, incredible architecture, and um, in a landscaping and and gardening and spirit. Uh, And one of the gems here and the pride and the heart of Odessa, in a way, is the Odessa Opera Theatre. And uh, I was really hoping to go for a tour. And funny enough, there's still a lot of tours uh, happening here in Odessa. Uh, And it's not for tourists because obviously we don't have tourists right now. There's some refugees or just internally displaced persons. And they're treated like tourists and being offered tours. But the truth is that Odesites love to take walking tours or history tours or gastronomical tours of their own city Uh, the number of tour guides I've met here exceeds any other city I've never seen like every other person I meet is a tour guide and uh, they all have wonderful stories to tell and so right now they are given tours of the Odessa Opera theater and I really wanted to go but I'm writing a lot of articles and doing analytics and that just didn't happen. However, in the evenings, I was able to go to the, this remarkable historic event on the um, 17th of June, uh, the theater reopened. Uh, it was supposed to play Aida, On February 25th, as we know, most of us heard about it that on February 24th, Russia uh, started a full scale aggression in Ukraine. So the theater closed just like many other places. And not only it closed, it was surrounded with this uh, anti-tank hedgehogs and the barricades made of sandbags, and you could not approach it. Uh, there were military standing all around, and um, you could not take pictures of it. For So my my previous visits, I couldn't even uh, take a picture. You could visit and catch a glimpse of it from behind the sandbags, but um, that was it. And so this time, on the third day uh, since my arrival, I, I, I walked there, and to my you know utter joy and amazement i find out that the access is now open you can actually come and see the theater and uh, there are roses around it like in between the sandbags that are still there but the hedgehogs are gone and um the other day they even turned on the fountain in the square so it's really beautiful and, and I walked around and took pictures uh, of Aida poster that never was to be. And it was such a poignant feeling and bittersweet. And then I think I was checking news right in my daily column, which I now do. I now write for several newspapers and one of them was Euromaidan Press, which I also recommend along with the Byline Times, of course. Um, and I was putting together the daily events, which are mostly military, it's military analytics. And I look through a lot of things and I see that the opera theater is opening and they throw in an opera gala followed by Ukrainian opera and then by, uh, by a ballet gala. And then they just open the whole, uh, repertoire season. And, and I, I have to say that I love opera and ballet. I grew up with it. Um, I've been volunteering in San Francisco Opera Theater for years, and I I, I I was just so excited. So I got the tickets and my friend and I went and we got to sit in the first row. And it was very strange, Adrian, because um, i have been to the theater before, of course, I wrote about it. and. I've never seen it that empty. And I first thought that that was because people either didn't know about it or a lot of people left the city, but it turned out that only 250 tickets were sold out of 1,500 possible seats uh, that could be occupied. And that is because the safety uh, requirement is a bomb shelter. Uh, so you can't uh, have a theater show in this city or in this country now, unless you have a basement or some kind of space that can provide uh, well-equipped, safe, warm shelter. And that—that—that's what happened. Well, um, I don't want to go into the structure of the theater because a part of me thinks that uh, that could be classified information. Although I heard, and I've seen people writing about it and I heard them talking about it, but I'm not going to take a risk. Let's just say that there is a bomb shelter there. And that's because the theater was built in the end, in the 1880s at the end of the 19th century. It's a Viennese Barocco uh, and by um, Forbes magazine, uh, assessment, it's one of the 11th, I think, uh, main architectural attractions in Eastern Europe. And some people name it number one opera theater. It's certainly up there. Uh, just to mention that they had a special system of ventilation in the 19th century. Uh, they had a glacier in the basement. Uh, and so they kept ice uh, in the hay. And the, the cool air was coming out through the uh, vents underneath every seat. Uh, that's of course at the bottom of the theater. If you sat, you know, on the very top, you were probably dying from heat. But uh, you know, like so it went. And there were even special ducts where the water from melting ice would go. Like it was really well thought through. Um, and and so now I uh, interviewed the engineer of the seat and he told me that they just adjusted the space and now it is uh, fine uh, to have um, currently for 250 seats and 300 standing spaces. And as they go into the repertoire season, he said optimistically, uh, they will build it up to all 1500 uh, seats capacity.
0: And you describe it, I read the article you wrote for Wire News, which is also another excellent news source, and you describe it, it sounds like such a beautiful theatre, you describe the royal golden burgundy curtain, the antique columns, the intricate stucco, the cherry red velvet chairs, and a ceiling painted with Shakespearean characters, a two and a half tonne crystal chandelier I can see this place Zarina but was there something surreal about watching opera and ballet in such a beautiful place at the same time as Russian missiles were whizzing overhead
1: yes I mean like if you've been to an opera house like this maybe a covent garden maybe Vienna opera or you know any in Prague or I mean Paris, St. Petersburg, you know. Uh, in Paris, actually, it's quite modern, so I take it back. But, you know, it's this old European over the top. Inside, I believe it's French Baroque. Like, outside it's Venice It's like rococo, you know, like all the little curls of gold and little angels, and it's just too much. You feel like you're in a candy box. <laughs> and, um, and then the curtain goes up and Uh, The announcement goes, if the air raid starts, please proceed, you know, follow the ushers' to the uh, basement. And if the air raid lasts for longer than an hour, the show is canceled, but you can show us the ticket and come to the next show. So they, they kind of thought it through. And um, and then uh, they, they make other announcements like usual, you know, don't, don't turn on your equipment, you know, turn off your phone, which nobody did because it was a historic, you know, everybody was filming. And um, after that they go, um glory to Ukraine. And the audience is going, glory to the heroes. Slava Ukraini, heroin slava. And then, of course, the first um well number or the, the opening overture in a way was the anthem, the national anthem. And everybody stands up and put their hand on their chest. And everybody, including myself, knows the lyrics by heart, and we all are uh, le- lipping le- it alone and I see a lot of people are crying and it's hard not to cry, you know, it's a very moving mo- moment. Uh, but then as they go on with the repertoire, you know, first few songs were in Ukrainian and you still have the sense of something unusual uh, happening here and expecting the air raid or whatnot. But then, you know, as they go into Verdi, Puccini, like overture to Aida, or uh, you know, Romeo and Juliet, you know, duet, you forget. You, you you because you know, especially if you enjoy opera or classical music, you get carried away and you start thinking, oh, you know, like I like this soloist, and then of course there was um, uh, what was Vitali Billy. And he's a Scala and Metropolitan soloist. He was incredible. You know, forget the war. It was just like a rare opportunity, and you, you completely forget. Um, and the same happened at the ballet because I I went to I just wanted to, and also I wanted to write a good article, so I ran uh, to the ballet show uh, during the air raid because I was writing my analytical column and I was getting late, I was like, oh, damn it, it starts at four, Uh, I might not make it. And lo and behold, 15, like quarter to uh, four, the air rate goes, ooh, ooh, ooh. And I'm like, okay, well, that means they're not gonna dance, I'm just gonna run anyway. So by the time I made it there, it was like 10 minutes It's quite close, so 10 minutes late. And by that time the air raid was over i just didn't make it to the bomb shelter because some people got to check out the bomb shelter (laughs) and uh...
0: i mean yeah that's the reality of life i guess at the moment in odessa and when we were chatting a little bit earlier although there is this incredible spirit of defiance which is reflected in the fact that opera has restarted that ballet has restarted in this gorgeous theater the intensity of the Russian attacks from what you said appears to be increasing.
1: They 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 were increasing. Uh, I mean I just got in I was uh starting to make my daily column for tomorrow and there was an interesting statistics that I found from one of the channels on how many air raids we got just in Odessa. So here uh for the last week we got 19 air raids uh, and they lasted for longer than 11 hours. And each one was about 36 minutes. I mean, that's a lot, but you, you know, like you wake up and there's an air raid. Uh you go to bed, like you're just about to close the eyes and there's an air raid. And by this time, I think, you know, it just gets a little bit on your nerves. It's kind of like a mosquito It's like, Oh no, not again. I mean, it's like, I was just going to, but then, People just ignore them, which of course not a good thing because then you hear boom and the, you know we are lucky because the air defense uh, unit units are working really well. Knock on wood, uh, but sometimes they're just not able to intercept or destroy the missiles. And like today, they were not, and we had several explosions. So I just came back. From uh, an interesting place that got damaged today from the shock wave—not direct damage, but indirect—and it's uh, the biggest in Europe, Museum of Soccer. It's uh, incredible. It's a palace and a park dedicated to soccer, to history. Now, listen,
0: I'm a massive football fan. We call it football over here, Zarina. And uh, I had no idea. In the UK, in Manchester, there is a, a national football museum, which is very good. I had no idea that Odessa had a massive soccer museum.
1: It's the biggest in Europe. And I assure you, I haven't been to any other Uh, football museums they call it football here as well Americans call it soccer Uh, but um, it's absolutely gigantic it's room after room after room it's like a louver of football in a way and they there's also a big exhibit dedicated to the British football with all the every single um, flag or a you know what do you call it like it's like a scarf I have to Certain f- football terms are not familiar. to Yeah, me. well,
0: it could be a flag or a scarf. We have both of those. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, he, this gentleman uh, c- collected basically all his life, everything. He still plays uh, football. And he has a funny little exhibit with one of the very famous Odessa uh, football player. Uh, was uh, um, invited to England in 1966 and Queen Elizabeth uh, threw a party and she actually danced with this football player. And so they have this, I took pictures when I write the article, i send it to you. Um, there's a photograph of this football player uh, vis-a-vis uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, but uh, supposedly the picture of them dancing was either destroyed or not allowed, like banned from usage by his wife. They, they, they <laughs> sit around and he's very jealous. So, <laughs> and he's like all these incredible stories. And the only reason we found out about this museum, my fixer friend and I, uh, because it was damaged. There the the Barcelona glass plate from the, uh, that covers the special lights. Uh, it fell down and broke and, um, there's some other glass, like the, usually shockwave hits the glass, the windows in the glass. So um, I will have the picture of the damage. Fortunately, it's not a lot, uh, but uh, they cannot, they had to evacuate most of their trophies and most of the exhibits uh, because um, of, of the danger. A lot of buildings around were destroyed. Well, not a lot, some. Let's put it, compared to other cities. I guess it's, you know, doing knock on wood. OK, right now it's being, you know, attacked and targeted. But, yeah.
0: One thing, uh, one other thing I must ask you about is the development whereby Kaliningrad, which is a, a Russian enclave, hundreds of miles from russia itself the former german city of konigsberg it was granted to russia in 1945 after world war ii under the treaty of potsdam so it's a little bit of russia next door to lithuania and lithuania has blocked goods traveling through its own country to kaliningrad and lithuania has done that in the belief that it is simply enforcing EU sanctions. It's, it says it's not blocking anything else that might be useful to the people of Kaliningrad, but that it is simply enforcing EU sanctions. But Russia has argued that this is a provocative and a hostile act by Lithuania. Mm-hmm. And it's a, that is a threatening and worrying development, I would suggest, in this conflict. Right.
1: Exactly, exactly. It, it is very alarming, although I would say that it's not exactly unexpected. You know, um, for one thing, this little pocket of uh, Russia in the midst of Europe is a trouble waiting to happen. I, I was always very, you know, uh, kind of w- watching it with <laughs> and not believing that it, it, the situation actually exists. And right now, of course, uh, there's uh, the ban, like you said, that Lithuania uh, put on the transit to the Kaliningrad region. Uh, and uh, uh, so uh, Lithuanian representative has been summoned to the Russian foreign ministry. And she was told that if uh, freight transit to Kaliningrad region is not restored in full in the nearest future, then Russia reserves the right to take action to protect its national interests. And this is basically, it's a direct threat, right, Adrian? Uh, And also, Uh, Apart from that, they also uh, announced that there will be the training, military training uh, with uh, heavy equipment and artillery, uh, and they called it the direct aggression of NATO against Russia. And today, just recently, like about an hour ago, we got um, Peskov talking about that, and we all know that he represents Putin's opinion, so... Um, yeah, it, it is a very alarming situation. But then at the same time, we have to remember that it's not the only country that right now is having conflict with Russia. Uh, Russia is constantly speaking ill, if you will, of Poland, saying all kind of absurdities uh, like that Poland wants to grab a part of Ukraine, that Poland should be a gray zone between NATO and Russia. I I mean, you can't even repeat these things because they can't make sense. And there are constantly threats on the Russian uh, propaganda channels towards Poland in particular, because Poland has been consistently helping Ukraine more than any other country. And just recently, we have this development situation with Kazakhstan, I don't know if you've seen that, but um, there was some kind of offense that the Kazakh president took uh, during the St. Petersburg Economic Forum. uh, And then from there, um, Kazakhstan uh, decided to impose the European Union sanctions on coal delivery before, the European uh, U- Union started to do it, kind of preliminary. And now Russia is threatening Kazakhstan that if they don't release the Russian coal, if not, then if, you know, again, another threat. And they basically threaten pretty much anything and everyone around them and not so close to them, you um, so, yeah, I would watch uh, what's happening with Lithuanian uh, situation and ban. I would watch Kazakhstan. I would watch Poland. And Zelensky yesterday in his speech um, did warn that <clears throat> this will be a historic week and that we are to expect our aggravation and uh, especially aggressive behavior from the Kremlin because... Um, this week, uh, most likely, let's knock on wood again, uh, the EU might confirm Ukrainian uh, candidacy uh, to the European Union. And that that will be like a red flag for a bull. I mean, we have to take in the psychological aspect here, and that's what it is.
0: Yeah, Yeah. well, I think it's important at this time, as much as anything to remind our listeners, who I'm sure are well-informed anyway, but just to underline the fact that this conflict continues and that we stand full square with the people of Ukraine. And as you say, there are other areas of tension, Lithuania being one, Kazakhstan being another, and Trump has made clear in his comments, as you suggest, that he regards many of the former Soviet states as essentially part of the Russian Empire and recent comments he's made have underlined that as well and it's been fantastic to get your updates and the positivity coming out of Odessa in the midst of what is obviously a very difficult situation we will of course stay tuned Zarina and speak to you I hope on many more occasions in the future but for now thank you so much for joining us and updating us I really do appreciate it thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Adrian and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And again, I know that that's a lot, a lot to follow. But um, I do share this daily column, which gives you a summary. You can just read the box on top. And it's about five to six sentences that sums up the situation in Ukraine based on the latest verified sources. And of course, if you are so inclined, you can read the rest of it, which is a lot and in detail. And uh, follow Byline Times, uh, as usual, that's the best. And you can also read my work at Euromaidan Press or uh, Bywine News and on my own blog. And thank you so much, Adrian.
0: Yeah, and no, do check out, follow Zarina, probably the easiest way to track down all her work, and she does regularly appear at Byline Times, but she writes for many other outlets as well, is to follow her Twitter feed at Zarina Zabrisky. I'm Adrian Goldberg. This has been the Byline Times podcast funded by subscriptions to our wonderful monthly newspaper, The Byline Times. We earnestly recommend that you take out a subscription. It's what keeps us going and ensures that we are free from any kind of proprietorial interference. You can find out how to subscribe at bylinetimes.com that's at bylinetimes.com and i would also recommend if you've got a smartphone to check out the bylines app which opens up the whole world of regional bylines as well there's a massive galaxy a universe of bylines outlets out there thanks very much indeed for listening thank you zarina see you all next time cheers now